Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. This is another creator-owned spotlight, and today I have a creator who's returning to the show. It's been quite a while. He's been on a couple times before, but it's been a while. Uh, he is the writer and artist of an amazing webtoon series called Lavender Jack. It's my pleasure to welcome Dan Scotty back to the show. Dan, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. You're right. It's been too long. Yeah, I think uh, the last time we had you on... There were less than five episodes of season two. You have finished yeah. season two and you're now on to season three, right? So that's right. We're over halfway done with season three. So I, I guess we should start out for, for any new listeners who uh, haven't heard Dan on the show previously, not familiar with Lavender Jack. Uh, let's do a little elevator pitch. Why don't you kind of explain what this Eisner nominated series is all about? Well, certainly. Well, it is a mystery adventure series set in the early 1900s and kind of a slightly steampunkified alternate history. Uh, it takes place in the fictional European city of gallery where it's, it's full of wealth and diversity and, you know, great social and scientific ad advancements, but it's also full of top to bottom corruption and uh, absolute asymmetrical, you know, the, the, the powerful just grinding the, the weak into dirt for their own ends and into that, milieu uh, arrives lavender jack this uh, sort of purple spring hill jackified vigilante who uh, who enters to to sort of turn that power structure on its head uh, of course the people in charge of gallery don't like that so they hire this uh, uh, Teresa farrier who's sort of the, the great detective of the previous generation who's now kind of a somewhat over the hill you know, held in less well-regarded detective. And the series begins with her being hired to catch him. And the whole plot sort of, it, it tracks both his mission of, uh, you know, vigilantism, revenge, with her mission to uncover this winding secret that created him. Yeah, one of the things I find so interesting about the series is at least for, for myself, discovering it the first time and reading about Lavender Jack and, and reading about his alter ego and immediately just feeling a, a connection to him, to him. He's a very sympathetic character. He's somebody that's easy to root for. And you sort of feel like early on, at least I did, that he is so fully formed and is not perfect because none of, none of us are, but that he really doesn't, he's not in need of, of personal growth. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. it, it seems like he's on the, the side of angels and, and making the right choices. But what's so interesting is throughout the course of, especially toward the end of season one, and then throughout season two, you realize that's, or at least I did as a reader, you realize that's not the case that, and, and even he, even Lavender Jack himself realizes that, yeah, maybe these choices that he's made to even become Lavender Jack are, were maybe not the the best. So my question is, I mean, was that purposeful? Did it happen organically as you were building the story and, and you know, Mimli came to, to life for you, Lavender Jack came to life for you? Or, or was it something that you uh, set out to uh, involve in the story? Oh, it is definitely intentional from the beginning. Uh, I, you know, I, I had uh, worked in, in professional comics for a couple of years before I wrote Lavender Jack. And uh, it had been several years in between San Hannibal, the last series I'd written and Lavender Jack. And in those, you know, uh, in the years in between, I had really put a lot of study into writing. I, I, I realized that if I wanted to be good at this, I, I had to 
I had to approach it like a craft that you learn and not just as, you know, I think there are some people who are employed as writers who don't take it as seriously as I would like them to. And one of the things I really latched onto is the idea that you can have aspirational protagonists, aspirational characters, people who are smarter, more charismatic, more put together than you, but those are still characters who need to change mm. uh, or if nothing else need to be put in situations that forces them to either change or to reaffirm their convictions. Like a, a popular example I like to use is, you know, Tony Stark is a selfish guy who has to learn to be a good guy over the course of his arc. Whereas Steve Rogers is a good guy who needs to like figure out what being a good guy means in ever complexifying circumstances. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that Mimley is very much a, like he's more in that Steve Rogers mold or even when he's, you know, even when we look into his past and we see that he had some troubles, it's still like, it's not that he was a bad guy. It's that he was a, a young guy experiencing heartbreak, experiencing mm -hmm. uh, trauma. Um, but again, not quite like a, like a Bruce Wayne, for instance, where trauma defines him. It's more like a good guy figuring out how to get through trauma. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's what makes it uh, relatable as well. Um, you know, so I hadn't read any of, of season three before I, I, I had reached out uh, a little while ago and, and we started talking about getting this together. And I was like, you know what, not only do I want to read season three, but it's been so long since I've read, read season one and two. So I went back, I went back and I read oh, wow. all, you know, all, I think if you add them all together, it's like 109, 110 episodes. So yeah, I spent, yeah. I spent some time, you know, we had, had some family stuff going on in the last few weeks that where I would be somewhere else just with my iPad and like, let me grab a uh, an episode here or there and it, it it reads so well as a as this long saga uh of lavender jack but i i wonder for you because i i you can see not only the evolution of of mimley as lavender jack and as a character and and also farrier and certainly uh honoria crab uh, she she has a, a wonderful arc and has grown a lot yeah, um, my favorite character uh, it, it it shows she's 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 she was a little annoying at first but man she's she has come on to be uh, just just no nonsense and and yeah a real favorite um but it does seem like the sort of the tone you i don't want to say that you didn't you weren't on solid footing to begin with because it, it's quality writing right from the start but it seems like there's a confidence to your writing as we're moving into sort of the last third of uh, season two and certainly in in season three so what have been the challenges to keep it going for this long especially in the format of almost a weekly <laughs> with lavender jack mm -hmm. uh and and you know to kind of when you look back on this body of work do you feel like you have improved your craft oh i would definitely say so uh, I, I think you're right to bring up the tone because i feel like i i now have a lot more understanding of how to maintain a tone mm. um and how to, you know, like, I, I feel like I now know these characters so well that their voices are now less affected. You know, like at the beginning, Ferrier has a lot more of that Hercule Poirot, like uh, being careful with her words and mm -hmm. sort of slipping into French phrases. And partially I went away with, I did away with that because I don't speak French and I constantly make mistakes when I try to put it in the comic uh, as people are willing to gently yeah, let me know. <laughs> um, but also just like, I don't need to use a lot of 
birdie woosterisms to let you know that memory is like sort of uh, an an easygoing uh you know aristocrat if you can get that from the way he talks about things rather than like specific verbal cues it's kind of like how um I, I, like the fantastic four you 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 know that ben Grimm is a rough guy from the streets like not because of slang he uses but just because like he reacts to situations like a guy from the streets would. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's sort of what I'm talking about. I, I now have a lot more confidence in writing characters who act out what they are rather than having to put things in the script that dictates to you who they are. Yeah. So it's almost like show don't, don't tell. Exactly. And, and I've also cool. gotten a lot better at um, like, I've gotten a lot better at writing scenes that don't quite feel like, okay, here's the Mimley Ducky scene. Here's the Farrier Crab scene. Like, I feel like I've gotten better at writing episodes so that these things thematically feed into each other a little bit better. Well, the other thing that I was going to ask about, because again, you know, creator owned throughout through Webtoon, you're not only writing it, you're, you're drawing it, you know, every, every episode, uh, you know, and you have help with with colors, which is you know, fan, the colors are, are fantastic. Like the, the tremendous Jen Manley Lee. Yeah, she's like I. I hope as long as you do this, that she. I wouldn't want anyone else to color it. Me either. I, I really wouldn't. I'd uh, sooner put it in black and white. Uh, yeah, I would. I would be in agreement with that. <laughs> uh, but as much as your writing has evolved, do you feel that you've become a better? visual sorts of, I mean, not necessarily a better, better artist, but are, are, are you faster? Does it feel like you've evolved as an artist? Do, do things come a little easier now kind of blocking out scenes and whatnot? Oh, definitely. I, I would say I'm a better artist than when I started uh, things like I now understand so much better how to use photo reference. Um, mm-hmm. I was also only a year, maybe a little less into drawing digitally when I started Lavender Jack. So, you know, uh, from from things like what tools and digital techniques complement my my work better, I, I now understand. But also um, things like what reads in the webtoon format. Like I would do a lot of crowd shots, um, but those go by in a in a blip. Mm-hmm. In, in, like the types I would draw in early season one. Um, I I was still thinking like a, a traditional comic book where. A, a splash page is, you know, oriented like this, and it feels like a huge image. But in Webtoon, every panel is that size. Mm-hmm. So to create a splash page, it's not about the image you're depicting. It's about the, the pan of the camera down the image as you scroll. Um, and like, I understand better, you know, like how action is supposed to flow in a Webtoon. Um, how... Yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm having trouble landing on one specific thing because I feel like I'm better at everything. At everything. Yeah. Well, I would, God knows the lettering's better. <laughs> well, I would say it, it, it is noticeable, especially having gone through and, and reread everything recently, like I did. Um, but, but for me personally, like the thing that I love the most that I'm really noticing that you're doing in season three, and, and we've talked about this. Um, I think the very first time we had you on, we talked about how the setting, the city of gallery itself and kind of the time period, you, it's a character in and of itself. Mm. In season three, it, it seems like a lot of the episodes start with, with architecture, with buildings 
in gallery and it's immediately it helps set that aesthetic like i pull up the new episode i load it and it's got you know a building or background or some architecture or whatever and it's just immediately pulls me it, it prepares me to read the adventures of lavender jack because i'm in that city um and, and it's fantastic so that's something that you've continued to do is it second nature at this point that gallery as a character i mean a lot of it yeah um Honestly, in season two, I think I took it for granted. I think I didn't do enough mm. investing in gallery as a character. Um, at times, season two, which I'm by and large quite happy with, and there are some fun touches that let you feel the character of gallery, especially in the Anoria Crab episodes, like when she runs into the the two kids playing like playing Lavender Jack in the black note oh, and little right. homemade yeah. costumes. Yeah. So there were some fun things like that. But at times, season two could fall into a, a narrative trap I really dislike where it, it kind of feels like the whole plot is just happening sort of in between the same dozen people. Mm-hmm. And that the, you know, considering this was a, a, the story was largely about an election and about large acts of terror, it did sometimes feel like the city wasn't as populated as I would have liked it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of it was just, there was, there was this kind of, I maybe booked a little too much into season two because I would have loved to spend more time on the election. I, I would have loved to spend more time in the orphanage. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, so it, season two was a, a big lesson in like how to book the next installment of a story so that it feels natural from the first installment, but also that it has enough breathing room that you can play around in it, especially the new elements. Yeah. I sort of, I, I now I didn't know that you, I, I mean, I think I had read a, a Q and a you did where you talked a little bit about wanting that you wish you could have fit more election stuff in there, but I didn't realize that that, that was purposeful, that there wasn't quite as much breathing room because there is a claustrophobia to season two, but it fits very well with the menace of the black note. So for yeah. me, it worked. You know, well, I mean? at a certain point, I started kind of steering into the skid. Like okay. I, I realized we weren't going to be able to get like in the, the nitty gritty, like the wire style political stuff that mm-hmm. I, I had wanted to get into at the beginning. But a lot of the the real estate we sacrificed was for things like um, building up the relationship between Nimley and Johnny Summer. Mm-hmm. And um, giving uh, a little like devoting whole episodes to. Uh, Teresa Ferrier in Switzerland. Like there are a lot of stuff that I think is very like, I think that we got a lot of good fun and games out of the season. Even if, even if we didn't get into the stuff that frankly is probably more important to me than it would have been to the readers, which is another thing I'm better at knowing now. Well, that's what I was going to, I was going to ask you, um, you know, having those first two seasons under your belt, do you feel like was the reaction from the readers you know, just as positive for season two as it was for season one, did it, because it, it, there is that, that difference in feel between the two seasons and the characters even themselves sense it, you know, they talk a lot in season mm-hmm. two about they're on the defensive, which they're not used to, as opposed to being on the offense, like they are in season one. Um, so was there a different in a difference in reaction from readers for, for season one and season two? I, I definitely felt like the readers, you know, season two is darker than season one. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, like one of my touchstones for it um, was uh, Zodiac, uh, um, uh, David Fincher's Zodiac, where where the the hunt and the atmosphere really kind of 
bad like drags it seeps into everything mm -hmm. and the black note is a character um i've talked about like since i finished season two i started therapy and i ended up talking about the black note in therapy because he is this sort of like i put a lot of my like darker feel i don't want to blow up any buildings but i put a lot right. of my like i don't know if, yeah yeah you yeah. i mean the black note is a is a terrorist who pretends to be uh, spoilers for season two he well he just pretends to be a good guy mm. and there's something so like like it, after after i wrote it and read it back i'm like oh this is revealing I, I should I should talk about this. So in terms of the audience reaction, they definitely knew they were in something a little bit more serious than season uh, one. But on the other side, the mystery of the black note, I think they found pretty compelling. And the because it, we did start out the season knowing who he was going to be mm -hmm. and uh, all the clues are there. And it was really rewarding to see people try and figure it out, try and second guess each other. And then what's great is that some people totally nailed it. They picked up all the clues. They correctly identified who, who he was. Um, and I, I was uh, delighted. I was so, I mean, the same thing has happened a bit in season three. There are like smaller mysteries that people can solve. And when they do solve them, I mean, that makes me feel like a good writer. That's a, I, I can't imagine being somebody who would change the plot because somebody guessed it. Right. Yeah, I thought that was a big payoff in season two. Funny, I, I did not have any idea who it was originally. And then obviously on the reread, I, I knew and I was able to see some of those clues like you're talking about. Um, for season three, obviously, uh, you know, we don't want to spoil too much because maybe people haven't had a chance to check it out. But there's a, a second Lavender Jack. And that was a nice mystery. And that one, I kind of maybe about halfway through uh, the, the first act, um, I started having my suspicions, uh, mm -hmm. but we still don't know exactly how it all works with who it is. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that reveal as well. Well, I, I love a guy in a mask like, as a narrative element, mm -hmm. you know, who, who or what is under there. Let's find out. It's a, it's something, um, you know, I'm a big fan of Grant Morrison's run on Batman and that's something he would regularly do really effectively introduce somebody. You don't know who it is. It's going to be somebody. There are clues. Tune in next week. See if you got it right. Um, yeah, well, it helps to add to that feeling of feeling compelled. I, I, I want the answers. So you keep coming back, you know, Yeah. in addition to the great art and the, you know, wonderful. I mean, I always part of the, I feel like part of the reason I love Lavender Jack so much is I just love the syntax and, and hearing Mimley, whether he's Mimley or he's Lavender Jack, whichever persona he's in. Just his vocabulary, the way he talks. I mean, it just, it's, I love it. That's, that's the hope is that it's a, a comic that panel to panel it is very like, if you like the flavor of Lavender Jack, um, and not everybody does. Like I, I, if, if somebody doesn't dig Lavender Jack, I don't, I don't think that's them being wrong because it's kind mm. of a specific thing. It, it requires you to know certain references. But if, if you do like the flavor, I, I try to make sure that, every couple panels or so you're getting a nice bite of it right yeah it's a good yeah it's a good flow um well we talked about how you you feel like you've grown as, as a writer you've evolved as a writer and and as an artist are there any challenges are, are there any things now that you're on season three that weren't 
as hard when you were starting out that now you're like, Oh man, I didn't, I didn't realize that three years or, or three seasons in that this would be a, a thing or still a thing. Well, you know, uh, thirds in a trilogy are always tough because you've got to answer everything. You know, you're, you're, uh, that's why the second installments of things tend to be good because you're, you're playing with house money then. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but in the, in the third season, things got to connect. Um, you got to make sure that characters are given good send-offs and it's also emotionally taxing. It's tough. Like we've already seen the last of certain characters in season three. Um, and this is the last season. I don't, I don't, I hope I feel like we're going to get to do more Lavender Jack related stuff in the future, mm-hmm. but nothing's certain right now. And so, you know, you never know what's going to happen. There's a chance that this is it. And, you know, that, uh, that there are characters that I'm, I'm like potentially never going to see again. That's, uh, I mean, I've, obviously I've worked on projects that have ended um, and there's a certain amount of bittersweetness there, but not characters I've lived with for three years, four right. years. Um, the, when I first pitched Lavender Jack way, way back in, like, I was still working on the spirit when I first pitched it. Uh, the, the person I was dating person I was living with when, uh, when I pitched it got married last weekend. Oh, wow. Uh, it's like, that's how long it's been. Like our relationship ran its course and they met somebody else and, and, like they got their law degree there and like that this this like entire reboot of this person's life happened over the course of lavender jack so it it really is um and we're we're incredibly cool by the way i'm very i'm very happy for this person um but it it you know so many things were different when i started it Mm -hmm. so it it does feel like uh well like i say it's very it's very emotional i think way more emotional than i was prepared for any kind of pressure? I mean, I know how you creative types are. You're your own worst critic. So any, are you putting any pressure? Do you feel any pressure yet to make sure you nail the, the ending? I mean, it's been so successful. It's got a dedicated following. Uh, it, I hope it's not keeping you up at night, but do you feel any pressure to make sure you, you nail it? it? It is literally keeping me up at night. <laughs> um, no, uh, I, I feel, I do feel pressure. I feel a lot of pressure from myself because um, it's important to me to nail this. But also, um, I get I get lovely, lovely messages from people about what the comic means to them. Um, you know, uh, just the other day, I saw this meme going around of uh, it was like a, a the meme was that it was a bingo card for your favorite characters, and the and that people who look at the bingo card would see if they like the same row of characters. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, oh, I, I also like you know, Scooby-Doo, Darth Vader, the, the artist Shaggy and, and Velma. Yes, I, very limited sc- scope of characters I just picked. But I, I like those. I got bingo. And on this one card, it was Johnny Summer from Lavender Jack. Mm. And, you know, there was a big positive reaction to Johnny Summer as a, you know, as a, a trans man. First of all, you almost never see trans men in media, especially you don't see them in positions of, you know, power, Mm-hmm. Um, positions of, of heroism. And so I, 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 get, I get messages of um, these characters really mattering to people, which is incredibly flattering, incredibly rewarding. And I, I want to make sure that I want to make sure there's a complete circuit 
uh, of, uh, you know, uh, those characters are brought to a, a satisfying, you know, uh, a satisfying where like you see the last image of them and you think that makes sense. That's, that's, that's good. That's, that lets me know where they're going to be at going forward. And it doesn't have to be this hangnail on my imagination. Like I did right by them. Yeah, exactly. I think that, and and that's interesting. I'm glad you brought up Johnny because uh, I want to talk a little bit about how he was received because the last time you were on, I don't think he had been introduced yet. And it was something that you were that you talked about wanting to do. You have this diverse character coming up and I think you were a little nervous about the way that he was going to be received. I Um, was a bit because the, the narrative language of Lavender Jack is very euphemistic. It's very like people tend not to say exactly what they mean, Mm -hmm. um, which is why Honoria Crabb is such a useful character because she always says what she means. Um, but she's one of the few people in the comic that do that. So, and it's also not a, a, like a sexually explicit comic. So how do you depict that you have a trans character um, in, in a definitive way mm-hmm. in that narrative language? Cause uh, I wanted people to know he was trans. I, I thought, Hey, there just weren't any trans characters in season one. And I wanted there to be at least one prominent one in season two. Um, and, and some people read Teresa Ferrier as a trans woman. And I, uh, I, I have no problem with that read. It's, it's not, it's not personally how I see her and write her. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really, Johnny was always trans and I wanted him to come across that way. And so uh so it, what it came down to is, you know, I, I have trans male friends, trans masculine friends and, and straight up trans men uh, in my, in my social circle. And so I just tried to listen to how they described their own experiences and find ways for that to like seep through the edges of Johnny's character so that if you knew trans guys, you would pick up on that. Right. And of course that develops, you know, uh, Johnny makes explicit reference to uh, like people having female uh, expectations of him Mm -hmm. later on in the season. And in season three, we see his, uh, his chest scars. Um, But I had to take a long walk to get to a point where it was appropriate to see his chest. Right. Um, Because the, the worst thing you could do would be to tokenize him to to make a big show of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really, it was that high wire act that I was worried about. And I was definitely a little bit <laughs> like people in season one didn't get that Mimley was gay. Uh, some of them. And I, I, I got like a, like a, yeah, I got an angry message. I was, I was like, well, it wasn't really angry. No, it was. I got an angry message from somebody being like, why did you make him gay? And I'm like, I, I don't, I don't know how you how you saw lavender jack yeah first of all he's the, the, look at the superhero persona he created for himself and i don't know how you heard him say three lines and not get that he's get, within 10 episodes of meeting him he like makes like a bedroom eyes at a at a male shop attendant mm-hmm. anyway but it, it let me know that there is there's always going to be somebody who doesn't get it and will feel 
weird about, uh, you know, something that expected them to have already got it. Right. Yeah. But you can't, yeah, and you, you know, can't you can hand, slow down for that. Yeah. Yeah. You can't hold handhold everybody, but, but that does remind me that I got to tell you my favorite scene in season three has to do with that, you know, uh, because of the way that uh, Mimley and Ducky's relationship changes. And then they, they try something out in the, in the bedroom. <laughs> See, <laughs> oh, man. that was, I, that was fantastic. That had me cracking up. <laughs> oh, I, well, that's the thing of it is, um, you know, so this isn't like a big plot point. So I, I feel comfortable talking about this, even if people haven't read the comic yet, the, the main, like one of the main duos in the comic is, you know, Sir Memley Bastrop, who is the guy in the Lavender Jack suit and Ducky who poses as his housemaid, um, but who's sort of the brains of the operation. She, uh, she gathers intelligence. She kind of makes their plans. You know, she's, she's the other half of, of Lavender Jack. And they kind of have this, this uncertain atmosphere for the first two seasons where it's, it's not, it's not romantic, but it's not totally not. Mm-hmm. And when Mimley becomes interested in Johnny, there's like a sort of a charge in the air around it. And uh, they end up in season at the end of season two, making like a pretty clear declaration of we're going to figure out what this thing is between us. And, um, and this is where a comment really helped me because I, like I say, I knew there was this charge between them mm-hmm. and I, I knew they were going to get married. I knew I wanted to come back to season three with them married. Um, but I was trying to figure out the particulars and I saw a comment the very last episode of season two where somebody said, I, I like Mimley and Ducky as a couple, but I have a hard time picturing them holding hands. Right. And I'm like, that's it. That's exactly it. It's a, it is a, like, it is a, a powerful relationship, but they, they do not have sexual compatibility. So I wanted the, the moment I wanted a moment where I showed that explicitly that where, where I showed that Mimley and Ducky, they tried having sex and it's not something that worked out. And it's not something they're going to do going forward. There's, there's no mystery here. We are completely like terminating that possibility. And so you could do that in a way that's like sad, or you could do it in a way that's funny and, it, it's funny. It, it needs to be funny. Yeah, exactly. And so, so I, I, I'm, I'm happy. Um, uh, well, once again, I take a, a five minute walk back around to your question, but a, uh, I'm, I'm happy that, that, that worked for you. And I'm so happy it worked for everyone else. I, it worked for my parents. My parents thought it was funny. Um, well, there you go. If mom yeah. improves. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, honestly, it's one of the best things about the series as well is this, this partnership, like, there is so much love between Mimley and Ducky. Like they are partners and equals in every sense of the word. And, and there is love there, but I mean, it just goes to show that the diversity and how there can be different types of, of love, you know, that it, they may even at, to some extent have some romantic love, but it doesn't extend to that physical sexual kind of connection. Yeah. It, it, yeah. it doesn't make their connection any less powerful or any less, relevant <laughs> i remember um i am uh, I'm, I'm working on a, a a new project right now and i was talking to my co-writer about it and we were, we were talking about there's a like a lifelong 
uh, like nemesis relationship between two characters in it. And, uh, and we were discussing like, is there a romantic element to this, to this feud? Cause it's definitely emotionally heightened. It's very, it's very, and what my co-writer came up with was um, the, that hate is, is like so sexual that if actual sex was introduced into it, it would become less sexual. Like, <laughs> and in, in a way, like I feel something similar with Memley and Ducky. Like it's, it's uh it's not like it's a, it's greater than romantic love or anything. It's just like, their thing is very specific mm-hmm. and it's, it's very, it's very beautiful. I love, I love writing them because they're, you know, the, the first act of season three is called the last of the Bastrops, which is how Mimley has referred to himself previously, um, which is something we borrow from the Jeeves and Wooster stories. But now Ducky is Mrs. Bastrop and the last of the Bastrops refers to the two of them. Mm-hmm. It's a, uh, it's, you know, as much as I love all the characters, I think writing the last lines between them is going to be the hardest part. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure the expectations from the readers will be uh, high as well. And, and the other thing, and, and this is the, the part that's challenging because, you know, we, we talk about the, the weekly schedule of, of Webtoon and, and you're writing and drawing this and, uh, you know, how much is too much? Because you've talked in the past, you've had a lot of readers ask about uh, putting out some Madame Ferrier stories. Mm-hmm. Now we've got, maybe we could do some Johnny Summer stories Maybe we could even see the adventures uh, of uh, Ducky and Mimley between seasons two and three. There's so much potential there, but we do know that this is the last season. doesn't mean you can't do other Lavender Jack adjacent stuff in the future, like you said, but there's only so many hours in the day and you've, yeah. you need, sometimes you need to, to feel like I need to take a break from this world creatively and go do something else. Is that kind of where you are with this new project? It is. I mean, uh, I'd even talked to Webtoon about, the the Teresa Ferrier series I had some I had material prepared for it and uh in that same meeting I said oh by the way there's this other project that I'm thinking of doing and they were kind of equally enthusiastic about both and um and I I I realized because I've been having a hard time this season my uh, I've had some trouble with my health and uh, and then just the emotional component of it and I just I just realized I I, I, I do need a break from this world. I, I, I need to, um, and this, this new thing I'm working on, it's a comedy. It's, it's, it's con- contemporary. It takes place in the modern day. Um, it has a character who, like a main character, who's very much not a well put together master detective. Um, and, uh, and it's kind of a comic about like making your peace with, uh, you know, your failures compared to those who have come before you. And that that's just a mode I feel a lot more comfortable slipping into than, um, because I mean, uh, also the Teresa Ferrier series takes place in like 1872 during a super grim period of French history. Um, It's just like, I was looking at the, at the proposal for it the other day. And I'm like, this is, this would be such a good comic. I hope I get to make this in the future. But if I make it next year, I think it might kill me. Right. <laughs> well, that's another thing uh, that I wanted to, to bring up. You know, you've you talked about how long you've lived with these characters and, and you know, it, it's been so rewarding, uh, you know, to be nominated for uh, an Eisner and, and whatnot and to hear the reader's response. But let's take this 
series in context of how our world has changed, right? The politics mm. of, of the real world, you know, because, you know, right at, at the start, the elevator pitch, you're talking about the, the level of corruption in gallery. Um, and I sort of feel like, in a way, you what was happening in the real world with politics and certainly the United States, did you sort of have to even raise the stakes of what you thought was, was believable or, you know, how, how can I be over the top with these politicians in gallery? Because all of a sudden <laughs> what I was planning on writing isn't so far-fetched. I mean, yeah. Uh, I remember there was an episode in season two where the black note kind of uh, brainwashes this, this random guy into becoming a, a, an assassin mm-hmm. uh, to, to kill uh, Chief Justice Gall, um, and he fails. Ducky uh, intercedes uh, in in like her only action beat in the season in the series that far. But like the day after, like the the day after I started working on it, there was a, a mass shooting event, and uh, and uh, that visually echoed what I what I had this guy because this was a lonely white guy. Who was being like programmed by essentially the internet, like a, a very analogous to how people get brainwashed by you know black pill communities and whatnot, and uh, and I ended up putting a like writing a message at the end of the episode, kind of in the lavender jack narrative voice, just trying to put it in context for people. Like you know, th- this is a story. I know it's close to what happens in the real world. Like let's let's be good to each other and try and like, I don't know, let's not let this drag us down. Let's let the, the way this echoes the real world, give us an opportunity to try to understand it better. Um, and, you know, similarly, uh, there was a, a Noria crab episode that went out on fast pass the week before the black lives matter uh, protests really started kicking off. And, you know, it was a really cop heavy episode where we were there's some talk about being a police officer that could kind of go either way. And I ended up adding a new scene to it before it went out for free just to help put it in a, in a context I felt more comfortable with. So yeah, the being, you know, I I think there's a a possibility that season three would have included like a Spanish flu storyline, but then, COVID happened. So like the last thing I want to do is drop people in, in masks and gallery. So yeah, the, the world, the whole reason the Lavender, Lavender Jack concept is appealing to people, I think, is because there is inequity in the world and we would like a, you know, a dandy Avenger to rectify it a little bit. Um, but a lot of times in the comic, he can't. So it's, I don't know, this aspirational fantasy is definitely inflected by stuff happening in, in the real world. Yeah, we could we could definitely uh, use a lavender jack in, in the real world, but but you're right, it might not even might not even work, uh, you know, because he he fails plenty in in the comic. But um, you know, it's hard to do. I think uh, a book like this, like you said, this aspirational type of fantasy, where the story of Lavender Jack and his motivations are so intertwined with you know the the politics between the haves and the have-nots. Mm-hmm. Um, so I. I you probably never could have guessed it would have turned out to be so relevant in the time that we're living in when you started. But uh, I think that's part of the reason it's, it's so great and that it, it'll, 
it'll stand the test of time. I hope so. I mean, uh, I think I said this on the show before, but when I was just getting ready to start it, I was having a conversation with my friend, Paul Guinan, who does wonderful historical work in, in comics and in, uh, uh, in, in general media. And I was describing the concept to him. And, and, and what he pointed out was that the, the 1910s were sort of the last era of noblesse oblige. Because after the Great Depression, there's this idea that if you had money, it's because you earned it or you were smart and mm-hmm. you didn't owe anybody anything. But prior to that, and this is a somewhat simplified view of history, but prior to that, there was this idea that if you inherited money, if you inherited royalty status, you were like the the debt you paid to that was that you helped those less fortunate. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that's not with great power comes great responsibility, I don't know what is. And so I, my hope is that the lesson people take from Lavender Jack isn't we need a vigilante to make rich people pay. I hope that the lesson they take from that is we all have skills to, we have skills, we have attributes, we have um, inheritances, be it wealth, athletic ability, intelligence, or like an Oreo crab, just being like the, the biggest Hufflepuff in the world. We, we all have things that we can use to help those less fortunate than us. We, we all have um, our own version of noblesse oblige. Well, the other thing that's great about it is certainly when I started reading it, you know, um, and the title is Lavender Jack. It's not, you know, the Lavender League, which was right. mentioned a, a few times. And so I was thinking, okay, this is going to be the story of this lone vigilante, you know, fighting against injustice. And it's it's clear very early on with his partnership with with Ducky, like we've talked about, but then with uh, uh, Madame Ferrier and and Crab and the Johnny and you know they start adding to their numbers that it really is a, a lavender league and I think that speaks to the way out of this mess you know whether it's the lavender jack uh, a fictional mess or the mess we're in is we got to work together yes we all need to use our gifts but we we also need to pull together um, and I, I think that's a powerful message as well although no character in lavender jack ever achieves anything meaningful on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when people go off half cocked, that's when they get, you know, physically defeated. That's when they run into, into dead ends, you know, cause I, I, I love, I love pulp fiction. I love Doc Savage and Tarzan and the shadow. I like, I like these, um, I, I, I like a lot of stuff that over the years, over the 20th century became really synonymous with toxic masculinity. And the way around that is to do narratives, you know, like Fury Road, like Mad Max Fury Road, where you can have these cool, like rugged sort of individualistic characters, but that alone can't solve problems. Like they need to find their place in a larger, you know, tapestry of, of skills, abilities, and motivations. And that's, that's what I hope I, I do with Lavender Jack is, is we do, we do need to pull together because they will, they will always beat us alone and there's a lot of factors out there that try to divide us and uh they just don't have to we don't have to play their game yeah well the the other thing that's cool about it is because you do that and and everybody gets a chance to shine in the narrative i I don't necessarily have a favorite character and like i just love that i love them all love ducky love johnny love mimley like they're all they all get their 
their chance to shine. They all get, you know, they all bring something unique to the team. And, and that's, that's fantastic. I mean, honestly, I feel like I could write like a mini series about any Lavender Jack character. Like even in season three, um, we have this journalist Abacus Ma who goes missing and, and his brother Barnabas Ma, this construction worker hires Farrier and Crab to, to find him. And in my head, Abacus Ma was like a kid detective mm. and, and his, his big brother was, you know, the, like that was his Ben Grimm, like looking out yeah, for him. The heavy. <laughs> and, yeah. And I could, I could write like Abacus Ma kid genius next week. Uh, I, I could write this, Better Call Saul style prequels about the Hawthorns taking over gallery. And you, you better believe I, I would take a pay cut to do the like Mimley and Ducky's two years abroad series. Yeah, um, that would be, that would be fantastic. And we, and we still have the, uh, the character of, um, of Nina as well. Yes. Night jar that that's still a, a bit of a mystery as of, as of now. Uh, Boy, I'm, so looking, I'm, yeah, looking I'm writing the, learning more about that. Like the us learning more about her is in the episodes I'm I'm putting out right now, and uh, it's well, I, 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 we'll see what people think, but it's it, it's kind of it's a tough it's it's producing those has been pretty tough, um, but I think it's going to be worth it. So uh, we should talk a little bit about inspiration specifically for season three as well, because you know mm. we've we've been a little spoilery with with uh, with one and two, but. Season three, there's still a lot of mystery out there. Um, some ans- some things we've got answers for, you know, who is the imposter or, or the second Lavender Jack, but things like Nina, we, we don't know yet. Um, can you talk a little bit about some of your, your inspiration specifically for the story that you're, you're doing in, in season three? Yes. I, I mean, one of, like the season's called Life During Wartime, which of course is, is a great talking head song. And the, um, you know, it's got a great beat. You can dance to it. It's in an international conflict and, and it's, it's got this really fast beat to it. And it's, it's sort of popping between it's kind of frantic. Like the, the big refrain is uh, this ain't no party. This ain't no disco. This ain't no fooling around, mm-hmm. but also the song is about a pair of spies and the, the dialogue of the song is, is what they're saying to each other. The, the last real, audible line of the song at least in the radio edit as it like starts to to taper off and get quiet is uh uh you look exhausted i'll do some driving you ought to get you some sleep Hmm. and so that was the like i i've listened to that song hundreds of times producing this this season because that's the vibe it's uh you know things are frantic We're, we're short on time um but we're together and and we're we're gonna like we're we're keeping our our heads above water here, uh, and so that's that's why it's called life during wartime. Because not only is that the song, but also there's something just so lavender jack about it. Like mm-hmm. yeah, the, there there's this like World War One is happening. There's this horrible conflict. Thousands of people die every day, but we are we will remain gallant. We'll persevere. We'll stay true to ourselves. And maybe if we all pull together, we can do something that improves this situation, which is why there's an exclamation point on it. Life during wartime. Um, narratively, you know, I, um, 
I honestly have a, have a hard time pinning any one thing down because I feel like I feel like this just came so organically from the first two seasons. It seems like the natural progression of what would happen. Um, I mean, obviously, you could see shades of of things like, you know, um, the thin man with uh, Mimley and Ducky's new relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Nick and Nora Charles. Um, you know, uh, but but honestly, this is probably my my most on uh like undirect referenced season so far everything everything has just been the sum of the first two parts because like season two was absolutely the phantom of the opera it was the dark night and it was like uh you know um it was it was the wire it was it was supposed to be like this dark sociological story and, mm-hmm. and you know season one had its own influences but season three is our most like vibe propelled season yet. Um, I will say that there is a, um, this is also the season that's most inspired by the league of extraordinary gentlemen. One of my favorite comics by Alan Moore and Kevin O'Neill. And it also has an arc that is directly inspired by the guns of Navarone, which is one of my, my favorite movies, uh, from the 1960s. Um, but, uh, I, I'm sure that if you asked me like a month after I finish it, I would be like, Oh yeah, no, no. It, 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 that was the French dispatch. That was the third man that like, I'm sure I could pop stuff off, but uh, I think, I, I think I might be uh, too in the woods to see the forest right now. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Uh, Cause what I had wondered was, yeah, yeah. There are so many hints uh, in season going all the way back to season one, certainly in season two, that this is coming. And then, you know, based on the time period it's set in, we know that they're, they're talking about world war one that's about to happen. Cause you know, we're looking back on it. So for me, I just was wondering if, if there's um, like subconsciously, you don't necessarily need to draw on inspiration from any sort of fictional stories, having, you know, gone to school and learned the history of world war one, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, is there right. some, some, some inspiration that just comes from the the time period and knowing you know, the horrors that, that happened, but not like, necessarily wanting to be fully cognizant of that <laughs> as you're working on it. Well, I did do, um, I did do a lot of research into World War One uh, before I started this season. I, I actually consulted with, with Paul Guinan, who gave me the, the noblesse oblige tip because his World War One knowledge is extensive. And he, he told me things like, like how, uh, sometimes to defeat tanks, men would just swarm over tanks like ants uh, with, with grenades they'd lob in. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a sequence in early on in, in the season where Mimley's running over a, a downed like tank mech, which was inspired by that. Um, I also, I, I, I watched that documentary. They will not grow old a couple of times, which is mm. a, a Peter Jackson produced documentary that, that through uh, digital augmentation, they, they, they colorize and uh, motion modify uh, footage from World War One in a way that makes it look like it's happening right now, and that that really blew my hair back. Like just how there's a, a sequence in particular where officers are making tea out of the coolant water that gets heated uh, when you fire a, a Gatling gun, and uh, and there's something like that happens in right. And so that's, 
this is a season about war with the idea being that war is kind of the ultimate organized crime where people are, are compelled into, into just horrible acts for, for honor, for, for money. Like it, it's this massive corrupting power. And in order to kind of get some skin in the game I, that I wanted to spend the first act with Mimley and Ducky in the mud, in the war. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted them to have to look at these soldiers. I, I wanted, I wanted, uh, I wanted to make sure that we weren't using world war one as like a D and D mat. Like right. I wanted, I wanted to, and it's not even, it's not even literally world war one. It's like, it's got fictional countries in it and mm-hmm. it's, it, the dates are wrong for it to start, but all of, all of those details are there to pay respect to the real war and, and hope that our commentary on, on war in general can have just some meager bona fides so that we're not just, you know, I'm, I'm not just a, a 31-year-old white dude opining about, like, how we shouldn't use mustard gas. No, it, it, it makes a lot of sense. And, uh, you know, it's, you're not romanticizing it but you're not, you're not exploiting the horror of it to add to the kind of emotional impact of the story either. You're just presenting it as this is what it is. And really that's all you have to do because we all know how, you know, the the atrocities, the stories of people rotting off their legs and whatnot. I mean, it, it gets grisly. I mean, there's a reason that an early scene in season three is set in a, a, a version of the, the tin, I think it's called the, the tin nose shop mm-hmm. of this place that would make, you know, fabrication masks for people who had been disfigured. But then at the same time, I, it was also important to me to acknowledge that there is such personal heroism that happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's not just suffering. It's not just um, like, just because you are being used and taken advantage of doesn't mean that the heroism you show isn't real. Right, yeah. and so that's that's why we have heroic, um, not just heroic soldiers, but also heroic members of the military police in gallery. Like mm-hmm. this thing that's become kind of a corrupt occupying power. There are still people doing good jobs. You know, we we never want to run to a situation where we are putting people in a uniform that means it's okay to beat them up. We, we have to strive to make sure everybody remains personalized, which is why. You know, at one point when we do just want to beat up a bunch of people up, I explicitly, using the word explicitly a lot, I purposefully mm-hmm. set it up to be this military base where they, where they send the bad soldiers. Right. Yeah. Or they, they, I mean, that's, that's like their big suicide squad base. So, okay. If you're here, we can hit you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I mean, speaking to your other point. Yeah. I love that scene where uh, Lavender Jack is stealing the, the war bonds. Uh, and we, and we, and we realize that, yeah, maybe this woman is, and the lavender Jack even says you're working for somebody corrupt. I can tell you're better than this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, was a, that was a fantastic scene added a lot of context. So yeah. we, we, we always got to keep track of the idea that lavender Jack is a, he's a gentleman villain. He is, there always has to be that style to it. Um, as other, if there's no style, if there's no, if there's no panache and honor, then it's, then he's just like fancy Batman. And I, and there needs to be, there needs to be this strange kind of neighborliness to him because 
at, at other times he needs to express real like venomous invective. He needs to really be able to express his hate to somebody. And that doesn't mean anything if he's not nice most of the time. Right. You need that contrast. Now I, I know fans of, of Lavender Jacket Bastos before, um, but I, I'm, I'm sort of obligated because I know people that are listening will want to know this print version of Lavender Jack. Will we ever, and I have a nice volume for my bookshelf. It's been a process. Uh, I will say I am currently talking with, um, I'm talking with a certain party about producing Lavender Jack in a print form that I, I think will surprise people, but is theoretically extremely exciting. Um, mm. We'll, I mean, we'll see. It's the end of the year, so I, I, I might I might have to wait a while to find out whether or not they'll move on this. But uh, I'm excited. They're excited. They reached out to me to do this, and um, I mean, I believe me i as much as the readers want this to work out i want it to work out possibly even a little bit more because uh if if this works out it's going to be like the best possible way you could get lavender jack in print yeah because again and, and you know i want it for my shelf and i i you know i'm i'm, I'm a fan obviously but the other thing and I, i'm sure as the creator these are your children i don't want it done if it's not done correctly. And, and this is built for Webtoon with the vertical scroll. So it's got to be done the right way because the story and the characters and the thing you built deserves that. It doesn't deserve to just be cut into, you know, eight and a half by 11 equivalent <laughs> panels and printed. You know what I mean? Like that, right. that wouldn't do service to, to what you've created. I, I've, so I, I've over the last year or so I've, I've talked with a couple different parties about maybe doing a, a collection and one of them had said that uh, you know we've got a good staff here if you just give us the files we'll orient it for you and i'm like you are not no. capable of doing that <laughs> yeah, you won't no know way. how you don't know how yeah. to you, you you like if it, there are a lot of comics that are very very good but are just modular they're panels they're it's not hard to kind of grok how that would work in a, in mm -hmm. a comic but I'm just doing more complicated stuff than that. So it, mm -hmm. it has to be me doing it. And it has to be, you know, I got I to gotta find somebody who is willing to foot the bill for me to do that for a couple months. Mm -hmm. And we're talking a not insubstantial amount of work. But yeah, yeah, exactly. I, and, and, and like we were saying before, uh, there's not enough hours in the day to tell right. all the stories you want to tell. So to go back and do this in a different format. So that's what that's my whole point is if you're going to do it and invest the time it's got to be done right yeah and i i i do i do know it can be done and i i really want to be able to give those first episodes the kind of the polish they deserve because mm. I, I i sometimes fall into thinking that they're not very good but then i i go back and read them especially in season three you go back and read the season one stuff a lot to make sure things are rhyming properly mm -hmm. and it's like a pretty exciting first couple episodes. It just, you know, you, you, you redraw some faces that aren't quite right. You, you improve the lettering and it's, it's there. So mm -hmm. um, I look forward to the opportunity to like create something that you can put on your shelf that is as good as you wish it as, as good as you would hope it to be. Well, uh, 
here's hoping one day that it, that it happens. I'll definitely yeah. be uh, buying a copy and supporting that. So uh, I know appreciated. I know all you Lavender Jack fans out there will will uh, do so as well. So uh, it's been great catching up with you, Dan. Um, probably have to have you. We can't go this long. I think it's been almost two years since you've been on. Oh, goodness. 18 months because it was bef- it was definitely before the pandemic. So, yeah, 2019, almost almost two years. We cannot go that long without having you on again. Uh, I completely agree. Back on and, and talk about the conclusion of Lavender Jack and, and maybe when the announcement of this next series. We can talk about the end of Lavender Jack and talk about your new thing when the time is right. That would be great. I would love that. So uh, to you listeners, uh, go check out Lavender Jack. It's on Webtoon. I'll put a link in the show notes so you can go check it out. You can read it on your phone, on your tablet, on your uh, computer, your laptop, what have you. It's, I definitely recommend it. Uh, also, go back and listen to the other, uh, the other times Dan's been on the show. He's been on twice before, like I said, and we've, we've talked about uh, Lavender Jack extensively and you know, focusing on Season one, the first time we had him on, uh, season one was about a third of the way done. And then the second time season two had just started. So we talked a lot about season one, uh, the conclusion of that. And those were great uh, episodes. And uh, and again, Dan, best of luck in the future. Don't be too hard on yourself with the pressure to nail this. I, I have faith in you. Uh, having gone back and reread the, you know, all the episodes up to date, uh, you, you, you got it, man. You, you know these characters. You will nail the ending. It means the world to me. Thank you. (laughs) So uh, as we're closing up here, one last thing, uh, social media, if anybody wants to follow along with your work or engage at all, uh, where's the best place to find you online? I'm most active on Twitter, which is just at Dan Scotty, my first and last name. Uh, I'm also on Instagram again at at Dan Scotty. Is it it at on Instagram? You can tell how relatively not as experienced an Instagram I am. But yeah, Yeah. uh, that's where I post a lot of art and then, Twitter is where I mainly, I talk about Lavender Jack. I give some behind the scenes stuff and I uh, post a lot of, uh, a lot of nonsense. Well, no, but it's I mean, high quality you, nonsense. You, you talk a lot about, and I love this about, you talk a lot about other comics and other, um, you know, creative endeavors that you're enjoying. You signal boosting other, you know, other creators, which I always love. So yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. It's a lot of good stuff out there. I try and curate it for people. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I'll put links to Dan's uh, Instagram and Twitter in the show notes as well as the link to the webtoon, everybody. So please go and check it out. It's uh, really, really, really worth your time. I can't stress that enough. So uh, again, Dan, uh, thanks for taking the time. It's great to chat with you, man. Likewise. Thanks again. Yep. And to you listeners, thanks for joining us as always. And we'll talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash the comic source. Do a search for the comic source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next time.